Many Christians think of the doctrine of creation primarily as relating to the world's origins. Hello and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. Our guest this time on the show is Edward Klink, who's here to talk about his new IVP InterVarsity Press book, The Beginning and End of All Things, A Biblical Theology of Creation and New Creation. Edward presents a more holistic understanding of creation, a story that's unfolded throughout all of Scripture and is at the core of the Gospel itself. Edward is a senior pastor, is senior pastor of Hope Evangelical Free Church in Roscoe, Illinois, and his books include Understanding Biblical Theology, A Comparison of Theory and Practice. And Edward joins us now from the States. Edward, hi. Greetings. Now, to what extent do many of us have a truncated view of the doctrine of creation, do you think? Yeah, a good question. I, I worry that many of us have, Christians that is, have have had an either an individualistic view or a spiritualized view of the work of Christ, our relationship to Christ, in an isolated way, that the rest of the story of the Bible, and really which is the story of the world, is not included in that. And I think I think it's a surprising number that we would be surprised to find out how many people are actually in that camp. How does the move from creation to new creation, in fact, direct the whole story of Scripture? Well, maybe one of the things just to note is that the story of Scripture is the story of the world. So when we are thinking about the Bible and thinking about our lives and our realities that we live in and the movements of our history, we need to understand that the Bible is describing God's story, which is a creation project, Uh, how he started all things recorded in the beginning of the Bible and how he will culminate and cultivate all things, which is the story at the end of the Bible, and we're in the middle of that. So seeing that connection is really important. And maybe one way that that's been missed is uh, the the common schematic of creation, fall, redemption, new creation, which is right and beautiful. Uh, The fall redemption has been the focus of our attention, and we've missed the, the bookends, which are more than bookends, but which are the context in which fall and redemption are placed in its creation and new creation. What happens to the church and to Christians, uh, I wonder, when a proper biblical theology of creation is lacking? I think several things. Uh, one would simply be is there is a, a denial of the goodness of creation, uh, that they're not seeing creation as part of God's purpose and plan, which is shocking I think when you actually look at the way Genesis 1 and 2 define and describe the world, that'd be something worth talking about as well. But there's also a disembodied Christian experience that I worry many Christians have, that they're not seeing the common grace, goodness of God, human flourishing, are all part of the trajectory of the biblical story and the message of the Christian gospel. That isn't to deny the work of the cross, it's to magnify the way that the cross ends up putting into place and restoring every detail from our own souls to every carbon and atom that God made and called good. You mentioned Genesis 1. Can we just go on and, and, and uh, ask a few questions about Genesis, please, if I may, Edward? What do you think are the correct questions that need to be asked of Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, this is, this is the thing, I think, in the work on this project, and, and honestly, something that came about in a, a creation project uh, assignment I was given from my divinity school, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, that that was kind of eye-opening to me, uh, because for for numerous reasons, and that, that would be a whole podcast on its own, 
the how question is is usually what Genesis 1 and 2 give birth to, how God made the world, and all the debates about answering uh, the questions in Genesis, right, about what it, who made it and how, when was it made and how many days. And when I worry, here, here's, here's my short, my worry is actually, as much as the how question is a worthy question, what Genesis is actually trying to answer is the who, the what, and the why. And those are rarely questions that the church is thinking about, about who made the world, who is the God, the creator God, who are those made in his image, uh, what did he make, what, what is the meaning of this making of me, the humans and the creation itself, and then the why, the purpose. We, we, we actually lose the trajectory that the Bible is giving us from the start, and maybe, and this would be a concern, maybe because the how question is so debated and so confusing that pastors actually avoid Genesis 1 and 2 altogether. They kind of start in Genesis 3, and they don't spend enough time in Genesis 1 and 2 because they feel like it's just a big debate, uh, kind of like they might avoid the end of Revelation with the eschatology. And, and, the, and that, that is detrimental to the Christian life and the ministry of the church in, in the world. Rito, uh, do you avoid Genesis 1 and 2 when you preach Genesis? Well, I haven't preached it recently. <laughs> you know, kind of, it's hard to kind of... You know, you don't. If you start a series in Genesis, you've got to start at the beginning and go the whole way through. So it's you can only do that every every few years, can't you? So, but I think one of the things is kind of dipping back into that, you know, a lot in terms of the creation story and how that kind of sets the narrative for the whole for the whole uh, of God's story is really important. That you're constantly going back there and seeing the themes there is really important. Okay, Edward, how do Genesis one and two introduce us to God and to His creation? Yeah, I think I think Genesis one spends a lot of time making clear that we understand the nature of who God is and the nature of God's core of creation, the human race, and the nature of that relationship that is male and female, and the relationship that they have, and the role that they have in the rest of the biblical story. I mean, a, a, a biblical theologian will see that that humanity was created to have a prophetic, a priestly, and a kingly role in creation that is ultimately culminated and fulfilled by Christ, and then extended through the ministry of the church. Um, but 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 that's a significant aspect. I think there's even just this ultimate goal of God dwelling with his people, that the, that the earth was designed, literally, the template of the temple in the Old Testament is borrowing from the nature of the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And that, that temple imagery, call it a temple theme, runs through Scripture, through Christ, right? The tabernacling one in John 1, 14, all the way to the end of creation story, when God finally is dwelling in his creation, in the cultivated creation that he intended from the beginning. Those little nuances give a whole different understanding of what it means to think about why God made the world and how we're supposed to function in it, and even the ministry of the church with Yes, uh, one of the things I uh, particularly um, delighted me about your uh, dealing with Genesis was the connection you made between the creation account and the building of the temple, uh, the tabernacle rather, in Exodus. Now, what is the connection between the creation account and the building of the tabernacle? When you look at the when you look at the details of the biblical text. Um, and in the book, I, I kind of give a chart, and I, someone named Fesco has done some really good work on this and others. So I'm, I'm not coming up with this new. M many biblical scholars have noted 
that literally the image of and the instructions of the tabernacle are like ma a map upon a template borrowed the blueprints from the ordering of the days of creation but the the created days and the instructions for the tabernacle are linked now that link is more than just a cute semantic thing that's trying to say that the reason or the purpose or the actual design of God's world was to be a world in which he would dwell with his people. I, I think that gets to, if I may add, the, the symbolism and revelation of the, the end of human history, Genesis, uh, Revelation 21, 22, of, of this new creation being in the shape of a cube. And again, when you ask people, why is it in the shape of a cube, or even a former professor of mine, when I spent a couple years at DTS, Dallas Seminary, the, the, in his commentary on Revelation, John Walford, defining the why it might be a cube and how God might use it, again, kind of translating it in that way, the image of the cube is actually coming from the Old Testament, which was the Holy of Holies. So the best way God could describe the culminated, finished temple of creation is to use the image of the tabernacle or temple, which is actually borrowed from the Genesis, Genesis account at the very beginning. What a powerful thing to even just think about is that God wanted his creation of his people and his world was because he planned to, intended to dwell with his people, and the, the entire structure of the world tells that story. It's fabulous, isn't it? I, I absolutely love it. Um, another, another point you bring out, which I think is marvellous too, um, you mentioned that the story of the Bible is really the story of the conflict between two cities, the city of God and the city of humanity. Now, can we explore that, please? How is the story of the Bible the story of the conflict between two cities? Yeah, um, I... I think it's helpful to see really all of Genesis, the first, you might even want to argue the first 12 chapters of Genesis is serving as like a prologue for the rest of Scripture. But it doesn't have to be in a formal sense, but at least at a biblical theological level, if you think of that, that might be helpful to understand the trajectory of the story and the movement of its, of its parts. And one of the key themes that happens is after the creation of the world, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the fall, Genesis 3, you have this interlude in Genesis 4 to 11, where you see a, like a trailer of the rest of human history, where the world is rejecting God, God brings forth judgment, he brings forth Noah and his family. And then, a, a, but a fascinating account happens in Genesis 4, which is the first formation after Cain kills Abel, you have the formation of a city, the first kind of account of a city. And then in Genesis 5, you have this creation of God's seed, the seed that will God raised up a new child after the faithful son of Adam and Eve was dead, was killed. So that by the time you get to chapter 11, it's this fascinating account where the city of humanity, the one that started in Genesis 4, is depicted as right is challenging God, like claiming to have access to Him in, in a way that is reminiscent of the garden itself. And you have this theme of the Babel uh, and the language, the, the, the spread of different languages, but Babel becomes this root word for the city of Babylon that runs from the throughout the rest of Scripture. And Babylon in the Bible is more than just a place, a ancient city. It ends up being a theme for the city of humanity, the kingdoms of humanity in the world. Well, what's fascinating about Genesis 11, when you see the culmination of that origin, is that it's in Genesis 12 then, right away in those first three verses with Abraham, 
where he is being pulled away from the family he knows, uh, from, from, the, from the place that he knows, and even his purpose. And he's being sent out by God for a new creation activity. And Hebrews, looking back, says that he was being sent to a city whose foundation was built by God. Well, then in those 12 chapters of Genesis, you see the origins of the kingdom of humanity and the kingdom of God, humanity's city and God's city, which makes complete sense when you think of not only the theme of Babylon that runs from Genesis to Revelation, but even the theme of the kingdom of God, which was the primary sermon theme of Jesus's messages. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? Or uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're seeing this whole movement of kingdom of God versus kingdom of humanity that are really grounded in this biblical story of the two cities that even Augustine, in his book, The City of God, drew out and tried to apply comparing Christians in, in, in contrast to Rome. So that's a helpful theme, I think, for a lot of practical applications, If even if I'm thinking pastorally, for Christians living in the world today. Yes, great stuff. Rito, questions for Edward? I'm not sure I have anything in particular, <laughs> in particular but, you know, kind of this is this is my world. You know, this is the stuff that I think, you know, kind of is, is so important for us to understand living as the church and particularly how we live in this world right now is that we need to understand this whole story and what God is doing. I think one of the big things that you kind of mentioned about is what is God actually building in this universe? It's, it's not a mistake. You know, the, the, this is not a mistake, what's around us. Uh, but what he's doing is coming to dwell with us as, as human beings. And I think when you see that story from the beginning, that that's what God is doing in Genesis 1 and 2, and that finally gets fulfilled uh, in Revelation 21 and 22, that it kind of all those pieces fit together. This is what God is doing. He's coming and dwelling with his people. You see it in Israel. You see it in the temple itself. You see it in Jesus kind of coming fulfilled, and we will see it fulfilled. And then that just gives us so much more hope and purpose for how I then live in this creation for a God that's coming and dwelling. I don't have to remake the creation because he's going to do it, but I get to participate in that as a member of the church. Mm. Edward, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it has a huge uh, pastoral payoff, and, and I almost want to say a, a correction has been needed in, in regard to thinking about what it means to be in the world and about life and death. For example, I mean, it's in the afternoon here, and I'm in the Chicagoland, greater Chicagoland area, but I this morning we did a funeral for a 87-year-old dear brother in Christ who loved Jesus and lived a faithful life and had a family around him who loved Jesus. And we we speak now of his life and his death as part of this cultivating story of God leading to the new creation. And I worry that, honestly, when it comes to funerals, Christians have, 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 have spoken of the already and have not yet understood the not yet. Uh, they, they, they almost kind of make a funeral hallmark examples about the golden streets and heaven in a certain way that actually misses the trajectory of the story of Scripture that gives a kind of anchored hope to the way in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the start of the new creation. That is already Easter, but not yet the second coming. It's it's not yet. And I, I wonder if Christians and churches need to think about the creation story, God's creation project, as a way of summarizing really the biblical story itself from creation to creation. Mm, okay. Uh, how does the Lord Jesus then fulfill the first creation and inaugurate a new creation? 
Yeah, in, in my book, I, I I try to take this theme of creation um, and and run it through the scriptures and to show how this 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 calling forth of humanity in the image of God, Adam and Eve are represented in this new work that God is doing with creation just fum- with, with humanity just fumbling with God's creation project in relationship to God with God assigning a- Abraham to be this interim Adam and Israel to be this collective interim Adam until Christ himself comes and fulfills in detail uh, the prophetic the priestly and the kingly ministry assigned to the first Adam and that, that that's an interesting way to think about it as Christians, every human, no matter what your nationality, your race is, political affiliation, whatever it may be, every every human is either a descendant of the first Adam or a descendant of the second Adam. And when you think of it that way as part of God's creation project, you can see that what God intended for his creation project from the beginning was that Jesus would be displayed and shown to be needed as the true Adam, the faithful representative of God, who would cultivate his creation. And we join in this Adamic ministry in Christ, a phrase that Paul and Peter use over a hundred times. We, in Christ then, as second Adam descendants, are living out the what it means to be human. And, and maybe we've lost that as Christians. We, we, we've spiritualized it, so we have a spiritual life, and we've disconnected our Christianity from what it means to be human. And the Bible is telling a very human story in that regard, and it's centered on Christ. Yeah, in what sense is the church then formed by a new creation birth? Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, I don't think it's a stretch or inaccurate to say that to, to truly be human, one must be a Christian. And I don't mean Christian in just a confessional or credo sense. I mean that new creation reality where we were made, designed to be in communion with God through Christ and, and, and by means of the empowerment and dwelling of the Spirit. That is what it means to be human, the dwelling of God with us, uh, that, that relationship to God. So true humanity is actually only possible by faith in Christ and unification to the Creator through the Savior. So that new creation work is is not just a spiritual thing with my soul, although all of those things can be true and good. It, it actually is a human thing that the rest of creation is missing out on, is, is disconnected from its very own Creator. Is the new creation the recreation of all things? Yes. Um, and it's a that's a that's a loaded statement, and, and and I say that in regard to the the question of a lot of there's several th- theological maybe a theological system or two or even positions that kind of assume uh, that the world that we're in is is, is to be voided is just to be is to be abandoned. Uh, I, I I remember asking this question in my church and even in a class at the seminary I at part time is where is heaven. Like, where is heaven at? And probably most Christians would assume or think that heaven is out there somewhere in outer space or some other dimension. Again, assuming that this creation and the creation project as recorded in the Bible all the way through, except to the end, I guess, is just uh, to be voided out and removed. The reality is the biblical story would say that actually what God created in seven times called good this physical earth that was designed to be a temple 
he wasn't planning on discarding, but renewing, uh, healing, redeeming, just as our bodies. It's not like I will look radically different, or Christ himself looked radically, radically different that he wasn't recognized. His new creation body allowed him to be recognized as Jesus. And if Jesus becomes the template, then, of what the new creation is, so the physical creation will be redeemed, healed. This new creation reality that maybe goes beyond our pay grade of understanding, but at least argues for a level of continuity in thinking about protology and eschatology, if I can use those two words, first things and last things, that probably has been missed in the mind of a lot of Christians to their detriment. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think this is the last question. Uh, we better deal with Revelation 21 and 22. H- how, does, how does Revelation 21 and 22 present us with the consummation of the story, really the consummation of God's creative plans for the, the entire universe? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the argument would have to be this. A, a good biblical theology will show that at what Revelation 21 and 22 is talking about is tying up all the loose ends, showing the fulfillment, pointing back and saying yes to all the things that not just the earlier part of the Bible spoke about, but even at the very beginning, with God dwelling with his people, with chaos being no more, with darkness being removed in light in this place, with Christ himself mediating the presence of God with God's human um, people. Uh, That reality is fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22, and that story is the story in which we are tethered to. That is the direction of human history and the direction of the life of every individual Christian, which again, like that funeral that I officiated this morning, changes the hope that we have, mourning but not without hope, because we are tethered to the new creation, which is a fact and is the direction in which the whole world is moving. Praise be to God. Rito, final thoughts, questions for Edward. You said earlier that there's the, you know, kind of we have overemphasized in the past probably the um, the not yet rather than the now, kind of pushing people away from this world. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, you know, kind of there's always dangers in every generation swinging the other way, right, in terms of do you think that's a danger that we, um, you know, as we recenter ourselves to to try and hold those two things in balance, that we actually get that wrong again and we focus too much on the now? Yeah, I, sure. I, I think you're right. I mean, balance is everything, isn't it? Um, and so having the already and the not yet being, each of those being a leg that the Christian walks on, and you, you, you're not missing one without tripping. So the walking in the already and the, the two legs of the already and the not yet is just significant. And, and having those displayed. I, I've even strongly emphasized in my church, uh, I think my the, the church, I've been at my church for nine years, and many Christians knew the reality of special grace, but what they missed was common grace. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to throw out special grace, which Jesus alone gives, but but I don't want to ignore common grace, which God gives to all people. The rain falls on the Christian's farm field and the pagans. And so balancing those two things is vital and should be the ministry of the church and the pastor. The main thing that, that opens people up, it frees people, right, to go and enjoy the creation that God has given us right now. Go and enjoy art. Go and enjoy music. Go and enjoy your work, you know, things like that, because you actually, you know, God has created this space for us to enjoy 
but the frustrations of those things also feel those at the same time because those things will come to an end at some point. That's right. And they need to be properly ordered. I mean, Augustine would talk about rightly ordered loves. They need to be properly ordered in ways that flesh that out. And that that is hard to do. So just as the church must theologically balance those things, every Christian must personally balance those things in ways that are healthy and God-determined. And, and that is the work of the Christian life. Yes, we need a good doctrine of creation, don't we, to help people think about how, how they should think Christianly about work or how they could think Christianly about their their vocation um, or food or cultural music or whatever. Absolutely agree. Edward, fantastic half hour. Thank you so much. Uh, Edward Clink, the senior pastor of Hope Evangelical Free Church in Roscoe, Illinois in the States, and his new IVP book, which I think is fantastic. I'm going to give it a plug. Get a copy. It's fabulous. The beginning and end of all things, a biblical theology of creation and new creation. Thank you so much, Edward. And thanks too to my co-host, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.